0: Hello and welcome to the Nish Guarda YouTube podcast series, once again, powered by OpenBusinessCouncil.org, CitiesABC.com and FashionABC.org. And uh, through all the different uh, teams that we've been having in terms of the studio group and different areas that we are working. So we keep profiling and taking the most powerful people in the world in terms of minds, in terms of narratives, in terms of solutions for the challenges and the opportunities we have when it comes to technology and business and the, as well about humanity next level. This YouTube channel has been growing and podcast series have been working quite significant. We're very excited that we pass uh, quite a lot of benchmarks during the year from a silver badge from YouTube to actually 220 plus interviews. But as well, the most important thing about this 220 plus interviews is the people. and the people that got, that put us together here the network that you are creating, and as well, the fantastic insights and intelligence that we get here, especially the learning and the different areas. So um, today is the same. We keep with a fantastic mind and the fantastic as well, entrepreneur and, and as well, researcher personality. And I'm going to touch an area that is normally something that I, I think I only touch once or twice in our series, that is relationships between technology, healthcare, and as well, in this case, orthopedic surgeon uh, technology. So I welcome to our series Daniel Goel. And Daniel is, I think, difficult to put in a box because he's a non-conventional <laughs> personality, but very excited. And I actually, when I saw the, the information about Daniel, I immediately wanted to engage. So I will just read shortly at university, but it's very impressive. So Daniel Goel is, a, or, is an orthopedic surgeon, a clinic professor and a keynote speaker. He's the CEO and co-founder of Precision OS, uh, Precision OS a software company focused on immersive experimental virtual reality-based medical education. And um, Danny is a doctor of medicine from the University of Manitoba, an orthopedic surgeon from the University of Calgary, and an MBA in health and life science from the University of Toronto Rotman School of Management. He also holds a shoulder fellowship from Western University and Harvard Medical School, and is a leading personality that has been associated as well with the University of British Columbia as clinical associate professor. Danny is particularly interesting the work that is combining between uh, conventional medicine research and at the moment looking at as well on the business world, the technology world and applying these things to metaverse AR VR technologies. So Daniel contributes as an advisor and columnist of the Forbes Technology Council. He co-authored more than 40 publications and is widely sought as a presenter on surgical techniques, surgical techniques. His ongoing research includes novel methods of surgical um, education and skills acquisition to deliver safe surgery towards improved patient outcomes. And he was awarded the gold winner of the Reimagine education awards 2020 organized by the wharton yes Reimagine education awards and conference so i think i could go with a couple of different things uh, but i'm very excited about talking with him so both about his academic career the business career and i'm particularly interested to look how someone like daniel that is uh, highly sought for personality in the in the healthcare world is looking at all these different areas of technology that we have been talking in my channel for a long time so welcome to our series daniel and an honor to have you here
1: thank you Tennyson. and thank you very much for that uh warm and thorough introduction oh no, it's a pleasure it's really impressive your your
0: profile and the way <clears> you've <throat> been working so let me start straight away so you are really uh i would say a citizen of the 21st century in the sense that you are dealing uh, with the different boxes and, and manage combining the boxes and being a great DJ of the contemporary challenges and opportunities you have. So a bit of, a, if you could tell us your story, how did you come back to, how did you come to medicine and from medicine to being an entrepreneur and being a technologist and a thought leader around these things?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, how far back should we go? I, I came from uh, very humble beginnings. You know, my my parents immigrated here from India in the 70s uh with not a lot and you know they raised four children and my interest uh was broad when i was uh, brought up you know my dad started his own business uh, coming here uh, which i was involved in and he uh you know as a typical immigrant family he always wanted us to pursue the opportunities that existed in canada and so medicine was one of those things that really interested me mostly because of the anatomy and physiology And so I pursued that career and uh, had mentors along the way, which I admired, and that drove me into orthopedic surgery and continued to facilitate my interest in that area, specifically in shoulder. And as I graduated and started my practice back in 2010, you know, you always look back and think, you know, how did you get into virtual reality? And I think it was, it's never been one specific thing. It's been a combination of different things, mostly driven by an intrinsic motivation to look for things and change how we practice medicine. And so when I met Rob and Colin uh, back in 2017, you know, I saw an opportunity to really dig deeper into the challenges that I noticed that exist in medical education today. And that's how the company was born. And that's sort of a brief introduction of where I came from, uh, the things that I noticed along the way, and how the technology and the problem we're solving really aligns together.
0: Well, it's very synthetic, but it's quite—you've uh, been precision <laughs> as a surgeon. I'm sure you have to be very precise. So, so let's look at uh, how when you were studying. Uh, let's look at your education because you have mm-hmm. a fantastic education. I multi, multi-multi I would say probably fantastic because you shift from doctor education and all the education around medicine to education around business, education around technology, and actually a huge component of using all these areas together. So from the education, let's look at the university and uh, the, the follow in uh, business education and career education. How do you see this part of the education right now with what is happening in our moment of so much advanced AI, metaverse, VR, and AR, and a lot of these things? Because most of these things are not talking with each other.
1: Yeah, so I think one of, the, one of the concepts within medicine is that medicine is, um, is a really expensive enterprise, meaning that there, it's high stakes for patients and there's a huge amount of suffering that can happen with inappropriate or incomplete or non-accessible education, which actually costs the system quite a bit of money. Uh, but importantly, patients suffer because of that lack of experience or access for the provider to that education. So in fact, we should be thinking of medicine always with a business lens from a value perspective is how do we deliver the, the best care for the patients while also keeping in mind that there's a cost associated with that, which is not sustainable. And so I think when we think along those two lines, it's, it's basically one pillar And we're taught to separate them to some extent because there's very little business education in medicine, unfortunately. And, you know, only now there's becoming more medical sort of discussions in the business realm, but they really should be one thought. I think the metaverse really helps us maybe align those two with much more uh, alignment, I should say. And thinking along those lines actually helps us deliver value in a much more different way. And I think that's where the metaverse really plays a role.
0: So let me ask you a couple of questions. So first of all, let's look at uh, before we go. I have a lot of big questions mm-hmm. to ask you, but let's start. And I know that we have limited time, so let's start. To, how does your company works? Um, let's say for someone that is outside of this, because yeah. of course we are we are dealing with multiple layers of complexity. Here, there's the layer of medicine and the right. orthopedic surgeon, which you are a global expert, and then there's your company that I mentioned before. That is very important. What you're doing, especially as the founder of Precision. OS technology. So let's look what is Precision OS technology and how does it work?
1: So we're a, a software platform that provides accessible, equitable edu- medical education around the world. And so that's, that's sort of the summary of what we do as an organization. And how we deliver that is using a technology known as virtual reality, which is a three-dimensional environment that allows you to interact uh, with a complete digital space while collecting data on your behavior. Fantastic.
0: And, and for instance, let, let, can you give an example how the company works? Um, of course, we're going to put links uh, to the organization so forth. Let's say, give us one or two case studies about uh, Precision OS and uh, how you are working on that level.
1: Uh, so here, here's an example. We, we partnered with a nonprofit organization called Sign Fracture Care who spends a lot of time and money training surgeons in low middle income countries on how to do a particular procedure so they fly there they train the local surgeons and they train them to proficiency so they can actually provide that care to the patients in those areas and this has significant implications to those patients because they have they have responsibility to their families to earn income provide a you know provide all the necessities of life when they get injured and they're not working that dives the family deeper into poverty. And so to obviate or to mitigate against that, these surgeons would be training these local surgeons to help provide that care so those families can get back on their feet and provide for their families. What we did in collaboration with this uh, organization is to actually provide them a virtual reality training module that they can then teach remotely into low middle income countries and, and broader to provide them access to this procedure without having the expense or the time associated with that type of training. That would be, you know, a really good example of how accessible training can be done from anywhere. And also with mentorship, because they can collaborate from the US to Europe or Asia, Africa, without actually having to go there physically.
0: Yeah, fantastic. So that that is really the way to go for your, for your future and as well the way to go present. So, let, let's look at, I, I, I'm just going to quote you from one of the interviews you have that I found on the internet, so from the host, ostostream.com that uh, in asks you a couple of questions around the, the VR tools in orthopedics. So let's look at, uh, start with your quote because I think it explains fantastic. And you're talking, you're very succinct, but I, I think for our audience, we need to explain some things first. Sure. So um, the question that uh, the the ost Orthostream asks you, is why is orthopedic surgical education perfect now for virtual reality? And you answer as follows The current mode of, of, of teaching surgery has its roots in the apprenticeship where students learn under the tutelage of an experienced master. Around the turn of the 20th century, elements of formalized education were introduced, but since then, nothing else has really changed. In the meantime, we've seen all this innovation with new surgical devices, new implants, and new procedures. So there's a lot more to learn. And after their five years of residence training, new surgeons haven't always received the training they need to be full autonomous and ready to independent uh, practice. So I'll stop here. So this is actually a challenge, not just for um, orthopedic uh, education and surgical, but for anything in medicine. Right. So my question for you uh, on this quote, and I said we put the links for this uh, in the interview, is at the moment, uh, when we look at metaverse immersive technologies, let's mm-hmm. say, let, let's look at, uh, I think for people that are not so technical as you and me, uh, let's, uh, I, everyone listening to us saw something of uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, <laughs> or any other film, even right now, the Avatar. And if you look at, uh, um, especially in Star Trek, you have this kind of digital twin of the body, and right. through the digital twin, you can actually look at the body and interact and see what is the problem with ELF and then get identification, integrate with the and so forth. So this is actually what is starting to happen, at least in, in narrative. But the practice is exactly what you said in your quotes, is that most of the systems are not speaking with each other. So right. as someone that is within <clears throat> the medicine hardcore world and someone that is with the technology, and, and you are on education, but this right now goes much further than just education. How can we bridge this gap? Because this is a massive problem. Because in the end of the day, for you are in Canada, which has a, a general, reasonable healthcare system, but the US is completely broken. Europe is much better, but at the same time, is broken in the sense that, for instance, a simple example—and sorry, it's a big question—but I want to contextualize. Is right. that, for instance, I had a, a medical um, exam done to me because I had a, a very crazy health issue two years, or three years ago already. And uh, I remember going to the hospital to do simple analysis and I had the analysis in the first stage of uh, the first floor of the hospital. And this is actually London, central London. I'm not talking any suburbs and any second tier country or third. And uh, I remember going to the doctor. He did the first analysis of blood and stuff like that. He told okay, now we go to the first floor and do the second stage of analysis. And then he asked me the same exactly questions. And I said, why are you asking me the same exactly questions? Uh, because, uh, Uh, the computer downstairs doesn't match the computer upstairs so we have these kind of things that you and me are talking but then the reality in the center of london is that the legacy systems of the hospitals are completely primitive and uh, we are right now becoming a bit in a kind of situation of science fiction where we have all this fantastic technology and most of the the systems of elf unless you are of course very wealthy um actually work or do this so how do you see these challenges uh first of all in terms of infrastructure and legacy systems and then i have a second question more related with data and the challenge coming out of this
1: yeah so a <laughs> big big question that you've asked Dennis. And one of the things with uh, healthcare is as uh, you quoted from you know my previous interview is that we're we're cemented or steeped in tradition which is actually a, a good thing for patient safety but I think before we talk about any solution, the one thing that we have to really identify and answer is do we recognize that there's a problem? And once we recognize there's a problem, we have to ask, what is that problem? And is there a, a viable, you know, cost efficient, but also a very, very effective solution for that problem? Because we have to think outside of our four walls, meaning that is this something that can be applied only to one, you know, part of the city, country, region. Or can this be something that actually could be provided or accessed nationally or, of me, internationally? So if you recognize that there's a problem, you'll always find a solution to that. And, you know, Einstein once said that he'd spend more time identifying the problem because the solution would come naturally after that. So I think that's the first part. So regardless of what we're talking about, whether it be integration, you know, accessing medical charts from one part of the world to the other, someone somewhere in a group of people have to say that this is a problem for us for providing the best patient care for you or for others, as an example. And the solution would come from that. And so I I hope that answers your question. It's sort of uh, answering it somewhat tangentially, but I think that's been the biggest thing that I've observed in the last five to six years, or I guess 10 years being in medicine, is we have to identify that this is a problem, whatever that problem is.
0: Completely. And I think this is the biggest challenge we are facing right now. Mm -hmm. I would say this is not just about medicine. It's about our present civilization is that uh, we have so much advanced technology, but we have the, the problem is that the human part of the problem is much not, it's actually not so much even about the problem it's about the, the narrative around the problems and the right. narrative around our present society so that brings me to the second question and i'm going to uh, i think for people listening mm. to us bearing me because i'm going a bit more science fiction and uh, i i was eager to ask this question to someone like you so Danny, when I found it, I definitely had to ask. So at the moment, um, and I'm going really science fiction, so I'm not going to talk about the problems because we all face these problems and it's not something we can solve in terms of geopolitics, cultural, and uh, and as well, even social, economical issues. But definitely from a technology perspective, at the moment, I can create an avatar of myself, of you, Danny, integrate the the voice and start integrating just based on social media or even writings, your language, your different parts. So I can create an entire digital twin of yourself. And then Mm -hmm. if I have some medical information associated with my avatar, I can do everything that is in Star Trek. And this is already possible. It's not in 10 years. So uh, when it comes to orthopedic, you're using it for education and your company is doing fantastic results. And I, I think, but if you look at, uh, for instance, some of the things you have, you have like the the medical bed uh, where the patient is, and then you have the different parts of the, where you integrate like the non-operative spine, all these mm-hmm. different things around the the VR part, which I think is crazy and fantastic what you guys are doing. But right now, all of this can be done much more than just education. So my question is, how you take this from the pure education part to start integrating this in the medical? um uh developments and the medical day-to-day operations. And the second question, sorry, it's two questions. Uh the second question is how we tackle the issues that coming with data because we are already on this. Okay. We cannot just, for instance, my company can actually create an avatar of anyone in the planet and starting doing this out of the record. And it's not a deep fake because a deep fake is a personality that you create in gi mm-hmm. and uh, especially or photoshop kind of uh, integration i'm talking pure avatar that represents the body of a person and if right. you actually scan the person you can actually go completely ball games into a lot of things so how do you see these two contexts right now because there's the reality of implementing this in reality and there's the part of the ethical uh, business economical possibilities that come out of this
1: uh so the the medical applications for this, although, you know, we started in orthopedics, uh, we're, this is a broader application, you know, we, we think of it in terms of medical education in general. Uh, orthopedics made sense because as an orthopedic surgeon, you know, that seemed to be the natural extension and where we'd start uh, referred to as a beachhead. You start in one area and then you can naturally expand based on how the market responds. So I think to answer your first question, the applications are across medicine and medical education, first of all, for this technology. When you think of, you know, your question about scanning patients and avatars, I think there's some companies already doing that right now where you can actually perform a virtual visit in the virtual space with a complete digital twin of yourself as a provider or a patient and the opposite uh patient provider actually being in that same virtual space. So what we're actually doing is it could be actually addressing a problem that we're talking about, uh, which is, you know, there is a shortage in human capacity, meaning that there's not enough nurses, there's not enough physicians, but you could open up this to a much broader application where you could have patients and seeing a provider in a completely different part of the world. And I think that's where the avatars and the metaverse really could play a powerful role in this space but again, it's still early, as you mentioned. That's going to be, you know, a future consideration in a future state.
0: And do you think from your experience so far, and because you have the three angles, you have the angle in one end of building the VR and integration of VR, especially for education, but you have as well the scientific and the medical part. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're going to be able to integrate these on day-to-day um in I would say in a because at the moment everything is possible. We don't even need to wait. It's just a right. question of starting to have. If you have a private hospital, uh, for instance, I I bet I, I met a billionaire um, that actually just spent ten million dollars. He went to a private clinic and they did everything mm-hmm. we're talking about here. Um, so this is already happening. Of course, the point right now is that we scale this technology that we've seen films. And they do it as well to improve a bit of the system. So I would like to ask this question because it's important for people listening to us. Yeah. This is not science fiction. It's reality right now.
1: So the, I think it goes back to the idea of value. You know, physicians and healthcare providers in general are really restricted in the amount of time they have during the day. And they're trying to accomplish a lot. And this is one of the reasons... I've stayed in practice while being part of, you know, precision OS is because I always want to have that clinical lens, meaning that if I'm in the office seeing patients, I ask myself, what technology or what problem do I am I having today, which would be or allow me to be more efficient and more effective? When I'm in the operating room, I'm asking the same question is what what can I implement or what's annoying me during the day that I'm that I would hope. Uh, Some technology could help solve that problem for me. And so I think when we talk about anything regarding to how to scale a technology in any industry, having that domain sort of knowledge and that frequency of interaction with the problem on a regular basis allows us to produce a solution for that. So scale would come after value. So if we can ensure value, we can ensure scale. And I think that's the lens by which we look at how any technology would be integrated into healthcare.
0: Yeah, very interesting. And and I completely subscribe, I think, the scale. But as well, there's a lot of education that you guys are doing. So one of the things that you highlight, especially, and um, actually there's a fantastic uh, free report that you guys offer that is the future of surgery training and Mm -hmm. education. But one of the things that looking at what you have that I love about what you guys are doing is that you have, when you look at precision uh, uh, ostech.com, the website, you have
1: mm-hmm.
0: enhanced realism in an high fidelity environment, deeper learning and skills acquisition, and convenient, cost effective, and scalable parts. So let's look how, because uh, when you speak about VR, people are still thinking about meta, craziness, mm-hmm. and some other things they're doing that are fantastic, but if people think then about Roblox and then Ready Player One, and everyone panics. So, um, Let's look at this part of, you mentioned about initially how you're using it for education, but let's look right now on the model of uh, these parts of your product through the medical grade learning platform, but as well through the AR and AR and how it works.
1: Mm -hmm. So we're focused in virtual reality, just to separate the two. So VR, you know, the analogy that uh, people, many people have used in the past is the equivalent of a flight simulator. So that's how I would look at this as a technology How we develop is based on a clinical lens. And then that clinical lens comes to, you know, what's important for a surgeon to know in the operating room with or without a medical device to provide the best care possible. And then we have a, you know, really, really excited about our team under the leadership of my two co-founders, Colin and Rob, who come from software development. And they built a team around that. So collectively, when we think about a project, we think of it from a clinical and a development lens. But importantly, what's the greatest value it's going to serve to the end user so they can deliver good care uh, on the real world? And we have an example of that. Um, There was a study published in one of the journals of American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons that showed we can take a trainee and have them go into a virtual environment, learn efficiently, and then actually then do that procedure on an actual patient in the operating room successfully. And that, to me, is really where the value comes in, is can you show direct translation? Because it's one thing to learn. And, you know, we all use different models of learning, reading, watching videos, et cetera. But if we're going to introduce a technology that actually shows that actually the skills are transferable to the operating room, that's the part to me that's most important, is that we can actually take a non-expert or an inexperienced person and make them into an experienced person intervention or with an intervention like virtual reality.
0: And do you think that, uh, especially these this part, so in, in the research I did about you guys, you have quite a lot of case studies, especially related to mm. education and uh, both uh, the areas of education for medical institutions and for medical technology devices and med- medical technology uh, companies. Right. So from your experience working with these organizations, um do you see a bit of progress? Because there was a big leapfrog since, of course, Meta uh, came up with VR. But there's a lot of still work. And for instance, one of the challenges—probably two questions here. But the first question is: uh, for instance, a lot of VR still creates a lot of uh, elf uh, dizziness and a lot of other mm-hmm. issues. It depends on the person. In my case, actually, to be honest, they never actually, I never actually—I had never had any problem. But for instance, I had uh, even a person in my network that worked with Facebook that actually quit after two days. All three right. are very near because it could not stand the devices for a long time. So the technology is, is, is actually scaling. But do you think the technology is going to be much more like simple glasses that actually can get the stuff like we see in films? Um, because that part as well, I'm sure you guys have a lot of experience that is quite important for doing this because, of course, you're doing it for uh, education. And there's a, a massive learning curve out of that. But you have as well the learning of looking at this from a different angle from someone like me that is working for business experiences or immersive experiences.
1: The issue about cyber sickness or getting nauseated in VR, that was an old issue. I think that, you know, was happening with higher frequency five, six years ago. The thing that is a real important focus for anybody developing in VR is to make sure that the frames per second are extremely high, meaning around the 60, 70, 90 range. And frames per second is that your virtual environment moves in a one-to-one ratio like you move. When there's a delay, meaning that your body moves but the virtual environment doesn't move is what triggers that cyber sickness or that nausea, dizziness feeling. And I think when you create a high fidelity product and that's where our team really focuses on that because they've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years, Prior to being part of Precision OS, is when you focus at that level, that avoids that and completely eliminates it in some cases. And you know, in the last several years, we actually have noticed very few, if any, patients putting the headset on and actually getting sick because the virtual environment is the same as a real environment. Your second point about the hardware this is a very typical graduation evolution of the technology and the hardware side. If you think about, we started off with a brick phone, which is the big phones back, you know, several decades ago to what we have now, which is something that fits into your pocket. I see the evolution of the hardware taking a similar pathway as a typical technology adoption curve and a technology evolution curve. So I see the glasses becoming less bulky, you know, easier to fit and also uh, much more, uh, applicable on a regular basis.
0: No, oh, very interesting. And that is very, uh, I think it's the way we're going to be solving these problems that will be creating a lot of new re- revenue streams and different new things uh, in terms of business. So um, in terms of uh, the different experience, let's say that you've been facing mm-hmm. with your company and as well with your personal work as a surgeon. What would be the advice for people listening to us? Both, uh, I think, probably, of course, my audience is not a, a medical audience, but I'm sure some people are interested for their own health and for other different things. But what would be the advice you gave to people that are really doing this kind of things? Because I, I know that at the moment there's a wave. We're talking about the trillion dollars being the next iteration of the, the metaverse economy, which is right now our immersive digital twins and and the BBIMs. I call it BBIMs, business mm-hmm. buildings and information management with digital twins. If you put all of that together, definitely there's no doubt this is going to be mainstream, independent of all the, the narratives that are a bit broken. So, but if, from your experience in terms of, let's say, if you look at three things that you achieve that you want to take forward, what would be the things that you highlight both, especially with your work on the company, and as well the achievements that you guys have.
1: So the, you know, the answer to your first question is what advice would I give to say a new, an entrepreneur considering this space, would be, you know, he or she should ask themselves why this is important to them. Is it coming from an intrinsic motivation or is there some extrinsic reason why they're doing this? Because I think the intrinsic motivation is actually helps Helps you focus on the problem and helps you sustain the longevity and the stress and emotional roller coaster that comes along with having a business. I think that's the most important thing. You know, the things that the things that we want to focus on for the next you know years and moving forward is again making sure that our solution is solving a true problem, which we feel is actually a problem. Number two is you know scaling that around the world, and I think number three, which actually is number one, is ensuring that the people of our organization continue to be, you know, a plus people, because I think without people, whether or not you have a strategy, a true problem, I think all those can go away unless you have the right team in place. So I think for me, that's a really, really big part is ensuring that we continue to grow organically and nurture the people that are part of our organization driving that culture. 100%,
0: and and I think that's the biggest challenge and opportunity. So uh, last uh, one, and I think, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so for people listening to this, and I think especially from your work, um, where can we find, where can we engage, and as well, especially, what are the next steps for Precision OS? Because I think what you guys are doing is really exciting uh, in terms of um, work and achievements.
1: So we're happy to communicate with anybody anywhere in the world about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and, uh, you know, interested in collaborations and partnerships. That's the first thing. And they can access our contact information through our website. The the second part of your question, if you can repeat it again for me, Dennis.
0: Yeah, so the the second part is, so you guys have already right now a fantastic case study in terms Mm -hmm. of special use cases around, medical institutions and medical device companies, especially on the education side. Are you guys going to move right now to build solutions really for medical that is not just education, but real practical cases? And what are like the future things that, of course, that you want to share with us that you think are interesting?
1: Yeah, so we currently, because because medical education is such a big problem to solve, our energies and our company focus is specifically geared towards that. You know the intraoperative side is a very different i would say problem to solve but for us it's the education because education if you solve that problem you actually solve somewhat the intraoperative problem partially so i think for us the next several years is going to be to really focus on the education continue to focus on the education side of things and then expand so we've already expanded outside of orthopedics into other surgical and non-surgical specialties so those collectively are our big goals for the next several years.
0: Fantastic. And I think that's a fantastic goal because solving this problem can actually create a lot of solutions and actually prepare the next generation. Right. Um, right. So I, I want to keep the respect for your time. Uh, thank you so much. There's a lot of more questions I have. and oh, probably yeah. One of the things I would like to do is is getting in a panel discussing healthcare technology and especially the, the data part of this, but I think we'll take it for the next day. Thank you so much for being, for having us here.
1: Thank you, Dennis. Really appreciate your time.